God is so good. <laughs> Happy 4th of July weekend. We're so excited that you're worshiping with us. My name is Mark Youngman, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to get to, to be with you and, and worship with you today and to, and to share this, this word today. I want to, before we get into a message, I want to celebrate something that happened here at Providence Church this last, last weekend. Our kids and Prov kids put together 118 bags, like kits, for summer camp for kids who are going to camp this summer as a part of soldiers, a soldier's child. And a soldier's child is a ministry that we have been a part of here. We've celebrated with them at different times of the year, um, pouring out the love of Christ to kids who's, who have lost a parent in service to this country. So you see some beautiful images of all that those kids did. We're so proud of our kids at, at Providence Kids. And we just want to take a moment right now on the 4th of July weekend to take a time out and, and pray. So would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for uh, these kids who are leading us as we celebrate the freedom of, of this country, um, and God, as we remember and honor those who, who have represented that freedom around the world and those who have sacrificed for it. God, we, we pray that we would be able to see you in the midst of our celebrations of, of freedom, and we look to Christ for our ultimate freedom. In his name we pray, amen. That actually goes really well into this passage of Scripture that I want to share with you. These are some words from Jesus that he gave to his disciples um, right before the, the end of his life, before he went to the cross. And he gave them, this is from John chapter 15. He said to his disciples, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This summer here at Providence, we've been walking together down these, these particular pathways that help us to get closer to the heart of God. And so we've been covering some things that kind of We've even said it. They seem like no-brainer. Some, some of these things that are a part of, of following Jesus. And, you know, many of you have been inten intentionally seeking time of, of solitude. Many of you have been fasting. You've been finding time for worship. You've been studying God's Word. And you know what's happening during this season? We are becoming deeper disciples of Jesus Christ. People at Providence Church are becoming, are growing as disciples of Jesus. And if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, I invite you to look back at these uh, past several messages that we have shared together and also check our website for study guides. It'll kind of help walk you, walk you through that as, as well. But this week's pathway is a little bit unique. It might even kind of seem like it, it stands out. And I'm going to share it in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about this image that comes to mind as I've been, been thinking about it this week. I have this mental image in my head of my, my grandmother, Marie. She lived to be 96 years old, and she passed away back in 1998. And for six of the years before she passed away, I got to work at the retirement center where she lived. And so I got to see her up close in her daily life. And I got to tell you, my grandmother, I know everybody says this, but she was a saint. <laughs> I got to watch, watch her just love people so well. Uh, Grandmother Marie had this neighbor named Letty, and Letty was as cute as her name. She was an adorable, kind, gentle woman who lived across the hall from my grandma, and she was losing her sight. 
So every morning, my grandmother would get up and grab her newspaper and go across the hall to Letty's place, and she would read her stories of the news. But the, the image that's really just kind of stuck into my heart the most is, is of my grandmother and Letty walking down the hall, you know, going to breakfast or the beauty parlor or, or somewhere together, and they just walked steadily side by side holding hands. Beautiful image of, of my, my grandmother that has just stuck with me. They had this special kind of friendship. When my grandmother was younger, like when she was in her 80s, and she was living on the south side of Chicago, she she uh, would walk down the street to the nursing home that was just down the street. And she had a, a special friend there that she would visit once or twice a week. And she would go and she would just sit and just talk with her friend. There's a few times when I was there visiting over the summer and I would go with her. And I was just amazed at my grandmother's ability to just sit with somebody, like to just sit calmly and quietly. She she, you know, she could have gotten some acclaim for, for loving somebody so well, but she, didn't, she wasn't earning merit badges. She, she wasn't getting press for it. She was just being a friend, a really special ability that I think my grandmother had. Now, there are teachings on, on friendships that actually go all the way back to the philosopher Aristotle. He, he talked about how, how friendship is not a transactional kind of relationship. Right? So it's not something where you're trying to earn something by, by being in it. And it's not just about what you get out of a friendship for yourself. That it's not just about what kind of pleasure you can, you can get from it. You know, how do we say it? We say, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? And if you stop scratching my back, then I'm, I'm out of here. Um, even Aristotle was saying, that's not it. That's not what a, a, a true friendship is, not transactional in that way. He said, the best friendships are actually covenantal in nature, they're more about what you give than what you get. I saw that in my grandmother. She was just always wanting to give, wanting to give, not worried about what she received in return. So I said the, I said the words covenantal in nature. And so we have some covenants that we actually have in our lives. We may, maybe don't even think about them all the time. But here at Providence Church, if somebody becomes a member of the church, we call it covenant membership. And that's really intentional because it's not, when you become a member of something else, oftentimes it's about what you can receive. And covenant membership is about being in, in relationship, and regardless of if, if you were happy with the sermon that week or if, if, the, if the song hit you in the right way or if you received what you needed, you stay in relationship. Another example of that is the marriage covenant. You know, uh, we say as part of the ceremony, um, I'm, I'm in this as long as we both shall live, Right? It's, a really, it's part of almost, almost every ceremony. And, it, and it, I've actually had somebody ask me one time to change the, the, the language to as long as we both shall love, which is one letter <laughs> difference, right? It seems like a really, really subtle change, but it's not the nature of covenantal love to say, I'm in this as long as I'm getting what I need out of it. It's saying, I'm in this, okay? So friendships should be based on appreciation of the other person, their well-being. It's not about a transactional value of something. So I think that my, I think my grandmother, Marie, she seemed to have this figured out. When someone lives well into their 90s, people will say, what's your secret? How did you do it? And my grandma was super humble, so I'm not even sure if she would answer the question, but I think I know the answer to it. <laughs> I think it's this. I think it's, it's friendship. The secret to her longevity in life and happiness in life was friendship. Like giving yourself to another person, the ability to be a true friend who walks alongside another person in all seasons of life. Friendship K 
can be a pathway to the heart of God. Seems pretty simple. Well, my grandmother Marie's husband died 18 years before she did. His name was Clarence, and she loved him dearly. I barely remember him, but I saw most of my life with her. I, I, I saw her living alone. For 12 of those years, she lived completely alone. You may have heard this in, in recent years. Um, there has been what some people are calling an epidemic of loneliness. I don't know if, you, if you've heard that. Even before 2020, even before we were, had this increased isolation, more and more people were, were choosing to live alone. Um, marriage is less popular. Like the shared life has been redefined and even digitized, right? So, so our relationships have, have shifted and more and more people are choosing to do life alone. The average household size in the United States has actually declined in the past decade, leading to a 10% increase in people who are living alone. And according to the U.S. Census Bureau, over a quarter of the U.S. population and 28% of older adults now live by themselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with, with living by yourself, and there are certain um, t- seasons of life and certain even um, benefits in that. But the rate at which it is increasing points to a pattern that something is happening. And then on top of that, only half of Americans today would say they have a meaningful conversation with a friend on any given week. Half of Americans would say they've had a meaningful conversation with someone this week. Two in five Americans report that they sometimes or always feel that their social relationships are not meaningful. And one in five say they feel lonely or socially isolated. A a, a leading professor of psychology at BYU said that the lack of connection can have life-threatening consequences, life-threatening consequences. I'm going to pull out of this tailspin of negative information in just a moment, I promise. Um, (laughs) I've actually got, got one more for you. Loneliness and social isolation can be as damaging to health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And because of all this, the British government, recently you might have seen this too, they, uh, they created a position titled the Minister of Loneliness. How's that for a job title? <laughs> what do you do? I'm the Minister of Loneliness. <laughs> oh, really? That's, like, I'm, that's, that's amazing because I'm the Admiral of Isolation. <laughs> I'm the Deputy of Debt. I could go on. I, I know. Sorry. <laughs> it's terrible, right? It's a terrible title. I'm the Minister of Loneliness. And I'm sorry for making fun of the British, but it's like 4th of July weekend. (laughs) Seriously, just Google the words epidemic of loneliness, and you'll find so much more information that you'll actually say, thank you, Pastor Mark, for not going on, for stopping where you did. There's a lot. There's a lot of information on loneliness and how it's affecting our society. So is there any hope? Well, I hope that you're assuming that I would say yes, and I am. The good news Well, and we'll actually, we've been talking about research, so we'll stick in research for just a minute. According to the research, friendships reduce the risk of mortality or developing certain diseases and can actually speed recovery for those who are becoming ill. I don't know if you you heard that. Friendship can save lives. (laughs) And I'm going to actually put it a different way, and I'll, I'll circle back to this in just a minute. But spiritual friendships can save lives. I'm always glad to see when the world catches up with the church. <laughs> it actually kind of makes me sad when the world passes up the church because, you know, the church was actually founded on relationships. 
Like, look it up in Acts chapter 2. It was all about people living in community together and sharing life together, like true, true friendship. And the scripture is full of these close, kind of beautiful friendships like my grandmother and Letty had. And what those relationships model is just so different than what we see as the norm. So here's one example from the Old Testament. This is the story of Jonathan and David. This is right after David had actually slayed Goliath. So this was like his big shining moment. And the king said, come and have an audience with me. And so here's the scene uh, where he's standing before Saul, and Saul's son, Jonathan, becomes a friend with David. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This friendship is so rare and so amazing that it's actually kind of alarming. <laughs> you know, we say, what? What's going on here? What, what kind of a friendship is this? A friendship where the other person is loved as much as himself? A friendship where a covenant is created to be friends, even though Jonathan's dad was not a very good man and, in fact, tried to kill David in several instances. Now, I know relationships can be complicated, believe me. I've had some really weird friends. Um, not, not any of my current friends, obviously, but I've, in the past, I've had some friends who were kind of strange, but I've never had a friend whose dad tried to kill me multiple times. Not even once, actually. It's never... I, and, and I think like that's got to be, there's got to be some kind of a stress on a relationship, on a friendship when somebody's trying to kill you, right? An outward sign of this friendship, though, involved Jonathan giving his robe to David. I don't know if you caught that. So what did that robe rep- represent? It really, it represented um, Jonathan's path to the throne. And so he says, in the presence of my friend now, I'm laying down this future that is supposed to be before me. He's laying down his, his power and his authority for the sake of a friendship. He, in other words, he, he was laying down his life. So somehow Jonathan and David seem like they maintain this friendship in, in, in spite of the life-threatening tension that they must have been going through, but so, so much so that when Jonathan died on the battlefield um, of his father, David used these words of lament. He said, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful. I wonder who would say those words over me. Who would say those words over you? I want to kind of get a picture of what spiritual friendship actually looks like. There was actually, there's actually been a whole lot that's been written on spiritual friendship. And this is a quote from a 12th century monk who actually wrote the book on spiritual friendship. He said, what happiness, what security, what joy to have someone to whom you dare to speak on terms of equality as to another self, one to whom you need have no fear to confess your failings, one to whom you can unblushingly make known what progress you have made in the spiritual life one to whom you can entrust all the secrets of your heart and before whom you can place all your plans. Now, as I shared that quote, who came to mind for you? Who did God put on your heart as, as I shared those words? 
Let me get even a little bit more teachy here for just a moment. I, I actually found seven signs of spiritual friendship just to kind of help you kind of navigate. Do I have spiritual friendship and what would it look like if I did? The first one is really simple. It's that friends love one another. Seems obvious, right? But if you've had a friendship that didn't end well, it probably didn't involve love for the other person. Friends love one another. That's the core of it. Friends accept one another. This is really important. Like your friend does not have to be identical to you in order for you to have a deep spiritual friendship. In fact, I think it's really boring if all of your friends are exactly like you, right? You need to have a little bit of, of, of um, difference in your relationship. And this is something I think that we've lost during this polarizing time, but it's true. You can hang out with people who don't think exactly like you. It sounds profound, but it's true. It's okay. Spiritual friends accept one another and all of their quirkiness. <laughs> And friends are loyal to each other. Proverbs 17 says, Friends love through all kinds of weather, and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Friends love through all kinds of, of weather. Another word for that, a word that Jesus used is abide. We abide with one another. We stay with one another. We're loyal to each other. And what this is really about at its core is trust, that we trust one, one another we have this line here, our, our team at Providence Church, where like if we've ever just had a moment where there's just kind of been a miscommunication or, or something, something to figure out, we say, I'm going to fill that gap with trust. I'm going to fill the gap with trust if there's a gap. And then we keep walking together. That's what spiritual friendship looks like. It's, it's how we stay loyal to one another. And friends teach one another. This one's kind of difficult for me sometimes because I'm around so many amazing people who know so much more than I do. But we have to remember that God might use you to teach someone even if they're more intelligent, even if they're more wise, even if they've lived to be 96 years old. And this can be difficult if you feel inferior to your friend, but God can use you to teach a friend. And you also have to be teachable too to be in that kind of relationship. Now, friends also correct one another. Again, from Proverbs 27, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. This is a hard, a hard, hard lesson to learn. Because if you're like me, I don't, I don't like love criticism all the time. Um, sometimes, sometimes I try to avoid criticism from anybody, right? We often expect friends to just kind of affirm us and support us no matter what, which is great, right? But our friends who know us best, from them, we, we desperately need them to point out our blind spots because we can't see them. And we've got people that we trust, right, that we're, that we're loyal to, that love us. The writer of Proverbs says, calls these truths that, that our friends give us wounds <laughs> that cannot actually be trusted. On the other hand, our enemies will often man manipulate us with, with kindness, and so it kind of feels like this, this weird thing. But the writer of Proverbs warns us that all not to be blinded by flattery and to welcome correction by the people who are actually closest to us, our friends. And friends share their burdens with each other. In, in sharing and, and in prayer, they, sh they share burdens together. I've got a group of guys that I get together with on, an, on a regular basis, and, and we do all, all of these things are present in our friendship. And one of the things that we just make sure that we do um, constantly is sharing each other's burdens. 
Because if you hold back your burdens, then you're kind of you're removing something from the potential uh, beauty of, of a friendship. And friends, encourage each other. This goes hand in hand with, with teaching and correcting one another, right? Like if you're being corrected and you're being taught and encouraged at the same time, then you can believe in a better future. Like you, your friendship can actually take you somewhere. So what friendships do you have in your life that, that provide, like the quote I shared with you, happiness and security and equality and a place for confession and spiritual growth? So you might be asking, like, if this is a picture of what spiritual friendship looks like, then, then how do you seek it out? How do you come up with spiritual friendship? And you may, have, you may hear this description that, that I just shared with you of what spiritual friendship looks like and know exactly who you need to call right now, who you need to write a letter to, who you need to reach out to in one way or another because there's been that, that spark of spiritual friendship in the past and you need to come back to it, right? You may, need to, you may need some help in kind of like walking through that as well, kind of identifying who a group of spiritual friends could be or, or a single spiritual friend could be. So we actually want to resource you for that. I want to encourage you to look up our discipleship groups. They're actually on our website. You can go to prov.church slash disciples. And these are really, really simple groups where, where what you do is you find, identify three or five, three to five other people who love Jesus and are willing to kind of walk into something um, together, walk through this life of following Jesus together. And you'll find this on our website. It's just a really simple pattern of meeting together and praying together and following Jesus together. I have, as I mentioned, a group of guys, they're in, we're in a discipleship group together, and we have been meeting together every other week for almost three years. And we've walked through some really difficult times. We shared a lot of burdens together. Our love for each other has grown and our love for God has grown. And I highly encourage you to look up our discipleship groups and reach out to us. We'd love to help you with that. So I wanna end this message by um, going back to where we started because we can't do friendships on our own. The best chance we have is to approach every friendship as Christ approaches us. Our friendships that serve as pathways to God's heart necessarily flow out of our friendship with Christ, which still sounds like a weird thing to say sometimes, but Jesus himself called us his friends. The Savior of the world, our personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, called us his friends. I'm going to read it to you again from John 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what is his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. In this beautiful passage, Jesus is saying to his disciples, saying to us, I no longer call you servants. You know what I'm up to. <laughs> You know the Father's business, right? And so I'm saying, so Jesus is saying to us, come and walk with me as a friend. And so what does a friend do? Well, when Jesus was demonstrating his love for us, he went to the cross and he died on the cross for us so that we could have life demonstrated by him coming out of the tomb on Easter Sunday. So what does friendship looks like, look like? Jesus shows us what it looks like. It's laying down our lives 
for one another. I want to invite you to pray with me. And I just, as, as we've been talking, if you have some people that have come to mind, I'm going to just invite you to invite God to, to, to bring them into your mind as, as we pray together and to, to look for a path to spiritual friendship, which, which is a pathway to the heart of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the people that you have placed in our lives who point to you. We thank you for people that you have put on this journey with us who love us enough to reveal the brokenness within us, to reveal those places where, where, where we need correction. We thank you for those who love us enough to continue speaking your name over us. And God, we pray that you would make us spiritual friends to those that you have placed us in, in life with. That together, we might walk more and more in the way of Jesus Christ, laying our lives down for one another. We thank you for the gift that Jesus modeled for us. May we live it out more and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.